This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today is December 1st. Uh, this will be our last podcast of the year. So we'll be talking to you guys uh, in 2021 next time we do in four or five weeks or so. Um, but today, the market had really solid earnings. Uh, the S&P rose 1%. It's a record closing high to kick off December. So we're building on a pretty sizable rally. Um, Dow was up 0.63% as well. And bonds are 10 years looking really good uh, in terms of yield. It's 0.921%. So, um, you know, we got a yield to start at 0.9 or above to start December. That's uh, uh, pretty solid. Um, it's it's obviously been languishing kind of in 0.8s and 0.7s for, for the last couple months here. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Grant, do you have any companies in particular we should talk about as we start this podcast? Absolutely. Thanks, Drew. Well, I, th- I think a big one that we've been talking about is uh, Zoom. So Zoom was down just over 15% today, was one of our biggest movers. And I think as more and more information comes out about the vaccines, we'll continue to see those stay at home stocks continue to, to continue to decrease. We also saw a DocuSign decrease. But I think the big one that the market looked to was the announcement that Salesforce is going to acquire Slack, the messaging platform for just over 27 billion this will be the the largest deal of, of 2020 if it goes through and so we saw shares of slack rose uh, after the report came out and then we also saw shares of salesforce also increase but i think the overall sentiment in the market right now is we we see an increase one from the the, the high hopes of the vaccine we saw madura uh, being a apply for emergency status from the FDA, hopefully to give some vaccines here in the early part of December. But more importantly, I think we we have seen some back and forth on the stalemate that continues to drag on in Washington about a bipartisan uh, stimulus package. And so we're seeing they, they may have come closer to a $900 billion, which is less than the Democrats and more than Republicans. Uh, but I, I think that the market, market's really reacting to any news around that stimulus package. Yeah, the stimulus package um, was announced as a bipartisan deal of $900 billion, but um, it looks like Mitch McConnell threw cold water on it uh, today as well. So we'll see. Um, there could be a December 11th shutdown uh, if, if they don't get their act together. Um, but for the time being, at least in the early hours, uh, it looked pretty solid. We should also mention that the forecast going into the holidays looked pretty strong as well. You had Capital Wealth Planning's Jeff Sott. He mentioned that he could see, um, you know, that earnings could be quite a lot better than most people think. Um, and, you know, that could be leading to a strong December um, shutdown, notwithstanding. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, but at the same time, you know, he did mention that. We're currently in a very hated bull market. A lot of individual investors are still sitting in a lot of cash, uh, and there's just kind of a w- lot of wait and see uh, between now and between you know rollouts of the vaccine, uh, which we know that healthcare workers and no- nursing homes will be the first to get it. Um, and then looks like I mean I imagine it will be 
free for the actual administ um, for the actual vaccine, but administration might cost a little bit. I think uh, those details are getting flushed out as well. Well, we're seeing earnings come in. There was Salesforce and, and Box today, but we are seeing earnings continue to come in better than most people expected. And earnings usually come in a little bit better, especially with the outlooks being thrown out the window after March for, for the rest of the year. But they did signal S&P 500 hitting 4,000 for the end of the year, which would be an 11% since last Friday's close. And, and that's pretty significant if you think about where we were in, in, in March. Some of the biggest risks I thought were, were interesting on this piece from Capital Wealth Planning, where they, they said that the biggest risk is a geopolitical event like a nuclear incident with Iran or North Korea, and then also uh, policy out of Washington, uh, not really signaling anything about the corona pandemic as the top market risk, which I thought was, was interesting as we see how reactive the market has been to news about the coronavirus. Uh, Further, just on the, the stimulus package, I don't think I, I think we're going to continue to see Republicans and Democrats try and come to the table, but not find anything until we have the new administration come in. And, and one of the biggest pieces, and we talked about it on an earlier podcast, is that we're we're seeing a lot of the unemployed who have been unemployed for, for a longer period of time are now seeing that their savings are drawn down at a rapid clip and are, are really trying to get back in the job market seeing hours cut and with stores remember to remain closed people who may be trying to get seasonal work may not be able to have that same opportunity that they do drew are we going to get a stimulus before the the end of the year i can't envision it um forgot the component about nuclear war with iran and north korea being a major <laughs> risk that seems a little vince flynn novelty for me right now um you know let's just throw a dart on the map and, and imagine you know a geopolitical you know, catastrophe on top of everything we have going on right now. So, um, no, I, 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 I don't really envision a, um, a, a deal before the end of the year. Uh, I don't, I mean, there's part of me that thinks they, they want to avoid a December 11th shutdown, but at the same time, there's not much political incentive. Uh, I mean, you have two outstanding Senate seats that are up for election, but uh, for the most part, this slew of senators, you know, they've just got elected for six year terms and there's not going to be uh, another election for another two years, um, you know, in a country that seems to have elections. Um, it's always election season, but um, right now they have a reprieve. So if they want to play hardball, I think they will. Uh, and I think it, they want to set the precedent, especially McConnell, you know, what he expects out of an incoming Biden administration. I mean, there's been a lot of talks about the relationship between the two men and how it was a lot more cordial than uh, President Obama and McConnell's was. But I don't think that matters. Um, I, I, I just don't. Whether or not they like each other and whether they have a good you know, relationship it's clear that there's a lot of gamesmanship going on right now. Uh, I can't envision them looking at another $600 per week supplemental jobless benefit. I mean, the GOP seems like they're strongly against new state and local aid. You had people work on the proposal that are certainly centrist. I mean, you had uh, Joe Manchin who worked on it, and I wouldn't even say he's centrist. I, 
I'd consider him a very conservative Democrat, but I, I think that's going to be all for naught at the end of the day. I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see us getting anything before the end of the year, and I especially don't see uh, those just direct payments or even the, the extra unemployment bonuses that we saw earlier that, that some folks were really holding on to. If we do talk about the new incoming Joe Biden administration, there was a big announcement uh, that we saw people from the left and people from the right can see something they like in her, and that's Janet Yellen, uh, the former chair uh, chairperson of the Federal Reserve and really respected ac- ap- academic, excuse me. Uh, I really like the pick here. She has her work cut out with her as we just talked about the stalemate. She'll be running point trying to get a stimulus package as, as she has repeatedly said uh, that the country needs needs more stimulus and more fiscal spending. What do we think about the Janet Yellen pick as finance secretary? I think it's a great pick. I think her experience in leading the Fed in a similar economic turmoil is certainly advantageous. I thought a lot of other picks wouldn't have been realistic. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was certainly talked about that was unrealistic for a variety of reasons. Uh, first being Senate would never confirm. But secondly, uh, you know, that would create a Senate vacancy. And right now you got Charlie Baker, who's the governor of Massachusetts, and he's a Republican. So it just it just it wasn't in the cards. But, yeah, no, Janet, I think was it was a top choice. Um, I've had the opportunity of kind of meeting her in, in person um, and you know, she's, she's great. She's savvy. Uh, she's been highly competent, um, you know, between 2014 and 2018. Uh, I, I just think it was, it was a solid choice. Absolutely. Right. I, I agree with you on that. And really, I think the, the reason why is because we are so partisan right now and, and they needed to find a choice that both sides of the aisle could, could look at and, and appoint her. Her. And so if you're looking at monetary policy, we saw when she was uh, leading the Fed, she raised rates from near zero to almost 1.5%. And then also uh, on the other side, the Democrats really like the, the rate setting panel at the time and did a good job of keeping them on track and, and following a schedule. And to your point, she has had experience dealing with Senate and being in Washington. So I think that based on her experience, she really was the best person for the job. Yeah. um, I mean, we'll we'll see how the other cabinet positions have play out. There's certainly a lot of beltway insiders make some people happy. Uh, Obviously, the leftist portion of the Democratic wing is is not. But I think by and large, it's all existing in kind of a realistic political framework. There's there's not going to be a commanding Democratic lead in the Senate in the very, very unlikely situation. They pick up one. Never mind. Both of the Georgia senators, uh, the best they can do is a tie break. And we'll 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 know where they stand politically in January. But, um, you know, you shelved off a decent amount of House seats netted or not even just netted one um, Senate seat, but, you know, picked up a couple and crossed the board. I think them not winning the main seat was big. Uh, if Susan Collins had lost her election, uh, they'd have a lot more 
leeway. But no, I, I just think with when we're looking at how they pull out the cabinet, they're going to be choices that are not going to try and rock the boat in January. And they're going to be, um, you know, highly educated, but at the same time, middle of the road uh, candidates. I mean, the other thing to consider is we're looking at the U.S. economy. It's grown at an unrevised 33.1% in the third quarter. Currently, growth estimates for the fourth quarter are below a 5% annualized rate. And that's despite everything we know about vaccines and, and um, y- you know, a, a new administration and everything else. At the same time, you know, you have St. Louis's Federal Reserve President, um, James Bullard, doesn't see a risk of a resumed contraction. Uh, it just might be holding up, uh, might be sluggish. Uh, Grant, anything else we should be looking at in terms of the GDP? Well, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan both revised their Q1 uh, pace down to 1%, down from 3.5% pace. Again, I, I always think of Jonathan Gold, who's been a guest on the podcast a couple times when he when he talks about the the 33.3% or 33.1% growth rate. And, and how that's really looking at the growth rate between the second quarter and third quarter and timesing it by four. And, and when you break it down like that, it, it seems like a little smoke and mirrors to really look at that as as a symbolism of, of how the U.S. economy is doing. I do think we're recovering well. There's encouraging signs of the uh, vaccine, but we are seeing COVID-19 infections as colder seasons begin uh, spiraling out of controls in a lot of areas in the country. And, and we may see uh, some states go back into uh, a little bit more of a, I don't want to call it a lockdown, but uh, no longer be able to do outdoor seating as the weather gets colder. So therefore, we may see another run of service job layoffs. Uh, so I, I, do, I do think it's encouraging, but I, I would be on the watch out for uh, Q1 to see if, if there is a little bit of a contraction. Yeah, you have states' cases are rising across the board. Uh, I mean, I just got back from North Dakota on a hunting trip and uh, talk about like a total COVID shit show. Um, I mean, I think when you're looking at provincial governments and national governments, North Dakota on a per capita basis was amongst the worst in the world. But you're seeing a lot of that in kind of rural areas that have certainly medical deserts uh, and it's gonna be a big problem. There's not a lot of bright spots. We could talk about a couple of things in terms of GDP that's kind of a contrarian argument, I guess the first would be is that jobless claims have certainly seemed to pick up. Uh, the week over week increase has been the first after we had four straight weeks of decline. Um, so we'll see how the pattern kind of plays out. But uh, jobless claims are definitely one thing we should be looking at. Well, and we saw them beat the estimate that the Labor Department came out last Thursday. So be the estimate from The Economist by Dow Jones. They estimated around uh, 710,000, whereas we saw the, the claims actually were 742,000. Uh, so the, the jobs market is still really unclear as we're seeing rising COVID cases. Uh, we, we could see enhanced restrictions. And as you said, different states are, are doing very different things because I was just in California and uh, people are wearing masks in their car there or else they might get a ticket. So it's a little bit different no matter where you go in the, in the country. Uh, but one thing to know is, is 
we we are seeing uh, that 14 million workers face losing unemployment benefits at the end of December. Uh, so there was the one 600 weekly boost to unemployment benefits that expired in, in July. And then we're also seeing two other benefits are expiring at the last weekend of December, which is why we are really looking for that, that stimulus package that we talked about earlier. Um, so that's one thing to, to take a look at if there isn't congressional action by the end of December. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is when we're talking about congressional action. Uh, we should be looking at the fact that there's going to be 14 million workers who are going to face losing unemployment benefits uh, by the end of the month and expiring income is going to lead or expiring is going to lead to a lot more or a lot less discretionary income. And that's going to certainly hurt, you know, Main Street businesses across the board. Absolutely. And to take us globally here for a second, uh, we have seen, especially with the world moving from globalization and, and major economies, especially with the trade tensions with U.S. and China, but since they do have the second largest economies, we, we have seen a shift from pensions and endowments now allocating 3 to 5% uh, in Chinese companies. We may continue to see that as we we see China begin to open up more. Uh, Drew, is this a good sign? What do you think about investing uh, a large portion of your portfolio in Chinese companies? Well, actually, last week I, um, you know, I, I talked with the financial advisor on this podcast, and it, at least, you know, with his understanding, is that a lot of this is should be well underway. The fact that a lot of people are chronically underexposed to global equities, uh, China being a big one. But yeah, you just mentioned, you know, what came from the report, the Willis Towers Watson that, you know, pensions and endowments are just between three and 5% allocated to China. Well, I mean, it's just us and China in terms of uh, the largest economies in the world. Um, there's, you know, good evidence that they're going to be the largest luxury market by 2025. Uh, certainly been lot more spending there and then got a growing rate, uh, whereas you've seen that fall off dramatically between Europe and the United States. Uh, and they just have, you know, a lot of good fundamental, demo, uh, fundamental, um, good fundamentals, demographics, notwithstanding, they're obviously uh, increasingly an older country, but, but everything else, yeah, does poise to, uh, I mean, I do, I do think global investors are probably underexposed to China right now. And, I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot more talks about increasing allocations, uh, especially in lieu of COVID-19. They've seemed like they've really gotten it under control. I mean, we've certainly talked about the past few months that it's much easier in a one-party state to do that. But uh, it's times of calamity where, you know, that's that can be advantageous. Um, and, you know, you can you end up opening for business um, a lot more quickly. It seemed just a little light, three to five percent, based on, as you said, it, it could be take over as the largest economy in the next couple of years. Here, uh, you know, three to five percent seems a little light. We we also saw that the Morgan Stanley Emerging Market Index, as of August, had just about five percent uh, Chinese A shares, uh, and, and I think we're going to continue to see more Chinese. Uh, a share in, involved in portfolios because historically they have a relatively low correlation with developed markets. Uh, and then we also seen that they, they 
operate fundamentally different in terms of the major geographies and driven by a different approach of monetary and, and economic policy compared to uh, the United States or, or most countries in Europe. So that, that may be something as it may be a, a little bit more of a diversification compared to uh, traditional U.S. equities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be short-term downside risks too, right? Uh, we've seen tensions between China and Australia, and that's problematic in the sense that, I mean, if you look at Australia, it's a very strong commodities uh, country. And, you know, you look at geography, it's it's no wonder why that, you know, a lot of their exports go to China. Um, then, of course, you have lingering issues between us targeting Chinese tech giants, and you're looking at TikTok or, or Huawei and lingering trade issues. But I mean, overall, we're talking long term. If China and the U.S. decouples from each other even more and then there's even less correlation, uh, then that might make sense to, to seriously give, you know, Chinese equities and fixed income uh, a serious consideration. And with that, anything uh, we should kind of get out to our listeners before the new year, Grant? Well, I, I think there has been an increase um, in acquisitions and, and mergers. Um, so one big thing to walk, watch out for the end of the week is is the latest deadline for the U.S. government um, about the TikTok deal to Oracle and, and Walmart. It's already been delayed twice, so we'll see if, if that goes through. One other thing is the Ant Group's IPO that we discussed. It was going to be one of the largest on records, was delayed and doesn't look like delayed by the Chinese government and doesn't look like it's going to be rescheduled uh, for next year. So interesting to see what happens there because there was uh, a lot of hype and people were really excited to, to see that company go public and, and get a piece of it. So uh, be, be curious to see what happens there. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be curious to look at Tesla now with its recent induction to the S&P uh, I think that's certainly interesting in terms of, you know, just what they account for and and how we, how we see it, the tech versus everything else um, weight play out. But with that, I mean, everybody will be talking to you again in the new year in January. Um, so, you know, stay tuned, but we'll, we'll drop probably next four or five weeks or so. Everyone have a great holiday. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate it and everything else with friends and family. Thanks, and, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.